of our Lord and Savior. And I, too, was noticing the songs about grace and how God's grace is a marvelous thing. So I have maybe several prayer requests to start with here this morning. First, for myself, I feel a need of prayer, and especially with trying to convey the things that God would want me to say today. I've had, I shared this in the prayer room that I believe the one that prepares a message probably gets more out of it than, than you will, but I can't say that for sure. And then I have in mind here, first thing to settle any questions that any one of you might have concerning what you may have heard about me this past week. As recently as last evening, I had someone from the membership here say that they heard something and they were asking if it's true. So I was thinking with uh, all our means of news, WhatsApp and ladies apps and sewing center and so on, I was pretty sure that everyone knows it and I don't need to say anything this morning. But I decided I would verify publicly this morning that it is true that Rosemary Troyer and I have begun a special um, friendship relationship as of last weekend. I feel humbled, very blessed, and at the same time, there's emotions that go along with something like this, and I just, we ask an interest in your prayers. And then to share a prayer request, it was just after dark last evening when uh, just a stream of fire engines started going past our place. And I went to the back porch and I saw this huge flame and it's, it was Ironbiler's barn was burning just down the road from, from where I live. I was reminded again at the blessing we have of a rescue team that fire looked like it was going to take the whole barn down. And in short order after the fire engines got there, the flame was just put down. And uh, yeah, so we have a lot to be thankful for here in this country. Uh, we have firemen and a staff that's well organized. Of course, I got on the road to see how close it was and they soon had all kinds of roads blocked off to make room for the fire engines. But this morning I drove past and saw that he actually had his cows in the cow stable. So the top, of course, uh, a lot of it is burned and have, it's going to have to be rebuilt. They've had their share of struggles, and I'm just sharing this as a prayer request for them as well. So, I woke up this morning with 
a burden for them and just decided that I would share it here today. So my message today is actually my assigned topic on relating to spiritual and physical needs in our community. And when I considered how this title was put together, I had to look at relating. What is expected here with relating to spiritual and physical needs in our community? And I found that relating has an interesting meaning. It refers to being connected with. So, connected with, identify with, and even feeling empathy with the spiritual and physical needs in our community. So, in preparing this message, it has given me a renewed compassion for those that are struggling, who are trying to make sense out of all their troubled, suffering, broken lives. And I couldn't get away from this fire and how Iris are feeling this morning. And how can we as a community relate to their spiritual and physical needs or maybe even struggles this morning. And then I just had to think how I think we know what to expect there tomorrow morning. And how that speaks to the community when the church collectively rallies around the spiritual and physical needs in our community. So my prayer has been that this message would develop even a greater burden for ministering, and especially maybe reaching out to the seekers in our community. So I had Jason read Acts 4, 1 to 12, 31 through 37, and he made a few comments, and he was right on. There's a lot of amazing things that were happening in the church as the church got started. The church was spirit-filled. It was united. There's different places that I, I noticed. It says one accord. They were of one mind. One soul were all terms that were used to describe the early church, the first church. 
I believe their church was vibrant. It was life-changing. People wanted to be a part of it. People were willing to suffer persecution to become a part of this group. If we had studied it more there in Acts, we find that new converts were added daily. It was a force to be reckoned with. Even the authorities noticed. So I don't know how much of what I'm saying you're applying to maybe our church or our church life. But I'll quickly say that was a long time ago. But where are we at today? Today we see few unbelieving neighbors coming to faith and joining our conservative Anabaptist fellowships compared to what they experienced in Acts or even what they compared if we were to compare to the Reformation period, which was several hundred years ago, when many non-believers were joining the Anabaptist movement. So what has changed? So I'm going to ask a few questions. Do we need more programs today? Is there a lack of passion on our part for the lost? Or would you say our neighbors are just simply distracted by sports, ease, and electronic entertainment? In other words, is it their problem or is it ours? I was reminded this morning that today is a special sports Sunday. And yeah, maybe we can just kind of shrug our shoulders and say the world is not in position to hear the gospel. I think we would recognize that we live in a nation that in many ways is walking away from God and the principles of the Bible. I'm guessing we could all go out and make contacts and soon find people who don't believe in God or don't think they need God. But in spite of the rapid secularization that is happening in our country, there are those that are seeking. There are those that are seeking. They want to learn about God. They want to connect with some of Jesus' followers. And these seekers provide a great opportunity to introduce people to Jesus, his teachings. They provide a great opportunity for us to uh, teach them about repentance and receiving the Holy Spirit into their lives to find freedom, freedom from the bondage of sin and the bondage of the human nature. So Jesus tells us that relatively few people will be saved. 
I often looked at that as kind of a discouragement. But I was reading a book where the writer said, that's encouraging. There are a few. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go find them. There are a few. And then further in that Matthew seven fourteen, there's not just a few that will be saved, but there's few laborers. That's not discouraging. There actually are a few. Are you one of those? I'm, uh, I have been influenced and even encouraged when I consider some men in my lifetime who are engaged in the harvest of lost souls. They're engaged looking for that seeking soul. And they just thrive on ministering to them. And I contemplated whether I should mention their names, but I think I will. As a youth, I remember Simon Schrock from Choice Books, Fairfax, Virginia, somehow ending up in the White House, I think at the prayer breakfast or something. And he was wearing a straight-cut suit. And as a youth, that just left an impression on me that an Anabaptist man would be invited, would be willing to go and speak to anyone that's seeking truth. Alan Roth was another one, uh, a man that I have admired for many years. And he was even mentioned the other evening at our men's meeting as somebody that in order to stay uh, exercised or practiced, his aim, his aim is to at least speak the gospel or present the gospel to two people every week. Dean Taylor is another one that I've been uh, just encouraged and inspired with his zeal to find the seeker. The Billboard Evangelism team, especially Johnny Miller, just seems like he doesn't quit. That's his passion. Ernest Eby, I don't know how many of you know him um, in State College. They have a, a program with college students and how the numbers of people that they contact just to find those few seekers. Chris Stolzfus is another one. And I didn't put a period behind this list because I, I'm sure there's more. I uh, was encouraged with an article in the Billboard Evangelism Report that was entitled, One Nudge Closer. And I'll share some of that.
Harold Troyer writes, a few years ago I heard a speaker explaining his goal of watching for opportunities to nudge people in the right direction. The number one, he said, represents a heathen man, while the number 10 represents being born again and becoming part of God's kingdom. The speaker said it is not his goal to get a person from one to 10 on the first conversation, but rather to nudge them closer to God's kingdom by talking and interacting with the person. My goal, he said, is to nudge a person, for example, from a three to a four. Of course, the ultimate goal of 10 is in mind. And maybe I could share one of, one of these examples. Judson was a high school age boy, was driving down the road with his parents and saw the billboard message, Jesus offers you a new life. I would like to know more about that, he said. And our team member quoted 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Then he described the process of repentance and surrender that gives us a new life, resembling the life of Jesus himself. Jesus clears your record of sin and gives you a clean slate with the ability to write a new clean life on that slate. Judson's reply after that was, I'm speechless. He seemed to be overwhelmed with the reality of the new life that he could experience with Jesus. He said his parents are atheists and he has no Bible. At our team member's suggestion, Judson said he would get a Bible and begin to study the Gospel of Matthew. So, as I was reading and being inspired by these kinds of things, I kept thinking about our church and hoping that this message could inspire us to be one of those that's seeking those seekers. Our culture has changed. You know, I was going to share with you at the beginning kind of the outline of this message. The first part of the message, which I'm getting to in just a bit, we want to look at the universal spiritual condition of the human heart. And that's the people around us, including ourselves. The second part, we want to just briefly look at the message the message of the cross. The third part would be the messenger, that's us. And the fourth part, some practical methods of reaching seekers. So we mentioned that our culture has changed, but one thing that has not changed is our message. Last Sunday, Jason preached a message on what the Bible has to say about hell, the domain of the lost. Many are following a path that's leading to everlasting destruction, 
and are not ready for sure judgment, where everyone will go to one of two places, either heaven or hell, for all eternity. And then he brought out scriptures like Revelation 20.15, who ends up in the lake of fire? Those whose names are not written in the book of life. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So let's quickly move now to a look at the spiritual conditions of the human heart. And this is universal. And I found this study, and I'm abbreviating it some, I found this study to give me a burden for the lost. The Bible is very clear about the spiritual bondage of every human heart. And if not repented of, will experience the wrath of God on their unbelief and spend eternity in hell. And I have chosen not to get into um, children's position or status with their creator. But the scriptures that we're going to look at are going to bring out the spiritual bondage of the human heart. So the first scripture is Romans 3.19. The bondage of legal guilt and divine condemnation. Romans 3.19, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. Here we have the sentence of eternal damnation to every soul. And this is a serious imprisonment or bondage. Without Christ, man will perish. John 3.36 says, wherever Christ is not believed, wrath remains. And I think that was one scripture I wanted to turn to. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And uh, a footnote in my Bible under abideth says, will stay, but the wrath of God will stay on him. So the only way this wrath of God on the human fallen nature can be removed is if we repent. Another bondage of the human heart we find in John three sixteen through 21. And I'm going to read that portion of scripture. Here, people love darkness rather than light, or more than light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, 
but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. People love darkness and hate the light. That's our human nature. That's the bondage of our heart before we were saved, before we repented. So when we go out looking for the seeker, it should not surprise us that people are living according to their flesh. They're living according to their human nature. And they love darkness. And they hate the light. It's not a decision issue. It's the bondage of unregenerated human heart. So, it's difficult for a person that's not born again or that does not have the Spirit of God in his life to love something that he hates. So is this shedding a little bit of light on how we're going to approach those that aren't saved? To just tell them that they should love the light is going to be a stretch. This is real bondage. Hate and love are not decisions. They are profound, controlling preferences of the palate of the soul. Darkness tastes good to the worldly, fleshly, human heart. Another uh, bondage of the heart, and I'd like for us to turn to Romans 8 for this. I'll be reading here and pointing some things out. Romans 8, verses 6, 7, and 8. Not only is the human heart, not only does the human heart have the bondage of loving darkness and hating light, it has the bondage of hatred for the supremacy of God. Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, or the mindset of the flesh, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But then I like verse 9, But ye speaking to the born-again or regenerated heart. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Just recognizing again that the 
bondage of the human heart is feeling guilt, feeling love for the bad, and hating the supremacy of God. One person wrote, that's just it. This is insane for created man to hate the authority of his creator. It's, it's insane. But we are hostile to God. That is the proud human heart. But verse 9 tells us that we are, however, not under the controlling power of the flesh, but in the Spirit's sway, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So we saw here two kinds of people, those who are controlled by the mind of their flesh and those who have been set free. And that's part of our message, being set free from the bondage of our human heart. Another one I found is um, in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. It tells us that we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, or like the rest of mankind. And if we were to turn there, it explains how everybody is dead by nature. So we need life. All the people around us that we meet every day, we need life. But we experience this bondage of spiritual deadness in our human heart, in our flesh, fleshly heart. We don't have to learn to sin. We sin by nature. Our old man, by nature, is dead to Christ. And I'll move to the last one, the bondage of blindness to the glory of Christ. And I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. A natural man does not desire God. So somehow, in our preaching Actually, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the preaching of the cross is even foolishness to the world. But unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. So in our contacts and in our preaching, I think there's a couple, there's a few things that we need to keep front and center Whatever our conversation is, however we connect with 
those around us and those that have physical and spiritual needs. I think we need front and center the message of the cross. And that's what I'd like to look at just briefly here. The message of the gospel is such tremendously good news. It's the message of grace. And somehow we can try and persuade people to love the Christian life or that God will, it, life will be better if you trust him. You know, we can do all that. But I believe the effective message that God can use to win a heart to him is the message of the cross. And it's a message of grace. The glory of God's sovereign, omnipotent, all-powerful grace is that it is so designed as the answer to every one of those bondages that we looked at. In spite of our guilt and all our wicked loves, all our hatred to God's authority over us, all our deadness, and all our blindness to his glory. Grace, this grace, in spite of all that, in every way is the remedy for the enslaving bondage that we feel, that man feels. So I appreciated very much the, uh, the first song. And I'm wondering if we remember what it was. You don't have to look now. I'll bring it up. Does anyone remember? It was wonderful grace. And the chills just went down my back. It was like you didn't know what the message was about. Wonderful grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace says that Christ bore our sins on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But here's what we need to remember. This grace must be received by faith. So whatever we can do with people that we're ministering to or looking for the seekers, we must make this grace um, appealing, but it's the grace on the cross, not other things. Jesus paid it for us. Man has a problem, and it's called sin. And because of our sin, Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved, tells us that we are by nature the children of God's wrath. And that's because God is a holy, righteous God who judges sin. So if we die in our sins apart from Christ, we'll be forever in hell, enduring the wrath of God for our rejection of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. 
Again, I'll say, keep front and center as we minister and as we uh, reach out to the seeker, the cross of Christ, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Because Jesus, who came and lived a perfect, righteous, holy life and loved you and me, took upon himself our sin and on the cross he became our sin, endured the wrath of the Father in our place and paid the price that we could never pay. That's our message. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's share Romans 10 and 9, and let's share the cross with any, anyone who will listen. Now, just a few thoughts about the messenger of the gospel, and that's us. The first question I would have is, do you care that people are dying around you without the Spirit of Christ in their life? Do you care? And how much do you care? I usually say it seems terribly selfish to be saved and not care about someone that's not saved. Prayer is the preparation. Pray that God would make you aware of the needs in your community. Um, the fields are ripe for harvest. I would just encourage us that every morning we would pray, God, will you lead us to someone that is seeking or that can be nudged? You know that while we're praying that in preparation for being the messenger, God has been working with people all around us. And maybe you're the person, maybe I'm the person that can make a connection that day. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do that. I like the thought that wherever the word of God goes, the spirit of God follows. So if we speak a word of scripture, if we leave a tract, if we give a Bible, the Spirit of God is following. So now just quickly, some methods of reaching the seeker. I'm going to have to skip a few things, but I'd like to get to the list that I put together as motivators now. And if you have a pencil, pen, or paper, maybe you want to jot down the one or two things that you can put into practice. So the first thing, okay, my question is, what are ways that we can reach seekers? How do we engage in the harvest? How do you find people who actually want to study the Bible. And there's a whole book on this, so don't expect those answers at this point. But one of the important things is that we would pray for meaningful opportunities. 
and we can all do that. Children can do it. Pray for meaningful opportunities to share with your neighbors or anyone that is seeking. A challenging thought that um, I kind of put into gear here maybe a couple years ago, and I heard this at a seminar in Penn Valley, um, focus on one or two people that you feel God is leading you to and stay with them. Stay with them. One or two people. Pray for them. Walk with them. Have contact. Make them priority. Uh, the second one is watch for opportunities. Keep the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ front and center. And when I say front and center, I'm thinking that maybe as children or youth or maybe even we as adults, practice sharing the gospel. Do it in front of a mirror or do it in, at home. Practice sharing the gospel. One man that had tremendously influenced people all over the world, this is what he practiced and memorized, and it was very effective. If you die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says it will either be heaven or hell. Would you think about that, please? And he said that over and over and over again to people. And there's an interesting story behind the results. Another one that I have is for families with children, um, I can only quickly give uh, an this for an illustration. When our children were small, and I'm thinking Arlen might be too small to remember, so it would have been like Rose and Dwayne. One of, the, one of our children wanted to reach out to the neighbors. And so we organized a little, we called it surprise package company. And we met every Friday to decide what they could do that weekend. And they'd come up with ideas like baking cookies and taking it to the neighbors, taking tracks to so-and-so and, and all that. So think about it, children. Maybe you want to organize a surprise package company and then reach out to your neighbors. Another thing I have is invite people in the community or seekers. Invite them into your homes for meals, cookouts, or whatever to get them into a family setting. Many homes in America today are broken homes. And uh, just to bring them in to witness a, a family setting is powerful. Now this one, I was almost wondering if I shouldn't ask for a raise of hands or a raise of a hand. But I had this idea. One time I went to Dutchway at the grocery store and as I was getting my cart, I noticed a bulletin board on the side with all kinds of things 
phone numbers to call and so on. Would somebody here take a three-by-five card, put our phone number on, a contact number, and some things like, if you are reading this and you need uh, spiritual help or you have a question or whatever, and then have, a, have your phone number and see if anybody calls. And it wouldn't hurt if the bulletin board would have more than one. I heard of somebody that developed a contact list with email and WhatsApp where uh, there was a group of neighbors that were on that list and regularly they put quotes from the Bible each week on there. And remember, wherever the word of God goes, the spirit of God follows. This is something I thought about for maybe even the youth. Um, what would it be like to conduct a religious survey in your community where you would have a list of questions and you would pass them out in your communities and just see if there's any response? I was even thinking that if you ever need uh, suggestions for Bible study topics, youth Bible study, maybe you could focus on training to do evangelism. And then we know how, how influential, powerful, how much it's appreciated when our small groups engage in activities in our communities caroling, singing for the shut-ins, and so on. Uh, I just applaud our church for, for those activities. And now I have one more, and it's just a simple one. But when I was in Hampton, Connecticut here a couple weeks ago, there's uh, a couple, Chris and his wife, and I'm not sure what her name is, that are now members at the Hampton Church. And they have a small business. Uh, they sell organic vegetables and, and dairy products and so on. And they tell us, no, actually it was this man that lives in uh, Rhode Island that told me that they were at the store one time and just as he was leaving, the uh, wife of Chris said, God bless you. And he stopped and he said, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. He said, where do you go to church? Because they're looking for a church. And then she said, the Hampton Mennonite Church. They have been coming from Rhode Island an hour drive. They've been coming there for about a year now. And I'm just so blessed with how little it takes sometimes just to nudge people on or get them to think about God. So, what is important to you? Your comforts, your business, 
your ease, or the salvation of those around you that need to hear about Christ. I'm going to read three scriptures, and then I'm thinking um, if we would just sing the last verse of page 817 before we come to prayer. 1 Corinthians 9.16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Sowing seeds of love and truth is not something extra in our Christian life. It's the essence of following Jesus. Psalm 126, 5 and 6, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, We are labors together with God. He will do his part, will we do ours. So I'd like if we'd sing that last verse in... Um, wonderful grace, and then we'll have we'll kneel in prayer. <clears throat>